Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo. The crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. The Crime Couch is proudly sponsored by Bank Vic. Every day in Australia, eight people commit suicide. Police and first responders are some of the people at the highest risk of self-harm. Drew Gormley is doing something about it. He's the CEO of Life Central, an Australian organisation that provides programs and gives support to those at risk. The programs aim to motivate and empower communities to build capacity. Drew and his team are currently working with artificial intelligence programs and believe they hold the key. The Life Central team has successfully worked with Victoria and Tasmania Police and the US military. Hi Drew, welcome to the Crime Couch. Hi Rochelle, great to be with you today. What motivates a pastor and a financial expert like yourself to get involved with people at risk? Well, it didn't really come as a strategic move to start with. Although I'd known of some people that had ended their lives, we connected with a police force in that my sister was in photographic in Adelaide for 20 years and her hubby's partner ended his life. Um, I hadn't really planned to get involved in this space until someone from our organisation got some funding to do some training. So we went and did the training and we found out what a huge issue it was in our local area. We had a very large cluster of young people uh, there was nine in an extended school community in 18 months. And so we were aware that this level of risk was perhaps buried below the surface a little. And because of that, it wasn't being given the attention it needed. So we started to train people and that's how it all began. What are your personal experiences in this area? You just touched on it briefly, but you've obviously got highly motivated because of some yeah. of those experiences. Yeah, so the first person that I was aware of that had some connection with us, with us as I said, was uh, my sister's hubby, his partner, um, a member of the force, um, uh, ended his life. And uh, we just become very aware of the pressures that are on first responders, on the police and so on. And that really started to open my eyes to a need that was unmet or not effectively being met. And then another one, a bit later on, after we just started, after we got our training, so I was playing basketball one, one night. I was playing, I played A grade with my two sons until I was 50. Um, and I was playing against a young man who was probably in his late 20s, early 30s. And he'd, um, he was an elite level basketball. And my job was just to stop him getting to the basket, which I, I did reasonably well. <laughs> we had a chat after. And then, you know, we, the next week I, I refed him as an, as an umpire. And I thought after that, I'd just give him my phone number. If he, I knew he came from a bit of a rough background. If there was ever a chance that he needed to talk to someone, he could ring me. I turned around, he was gone. And that was Thursday night and he ended his life on Sunday. So, and to me, that, that didn't need to happen. So the goal was to start to understand the problem and see if we could do something about it. So that's how we got more involved because of our personal experiences. 
suicide is still, and I know as a journalist, you never reported on that as a cause of death. Why is it still such a forbidden topic? I think largely because it's misunderstood. Um, it's really, once you understand what the issues are, you can start to address them. And because there's a, a very high level of misunderstanding about uh, why it happens, what mindset people are in, because there's misunderstanding or lack of understanding, people don't want to try and comprehend or in, embrace the idea that it can be dealt with because it's just too uh, foreign to them. Drew, you've done a lot of work in this area. And as you mentioned, you, you've, and you're currently still working a lot with police and first responders. Yeah. Is there a greater risk for first responders and police? Absolutely. We've found in our experience of working with police in a couple of states and having some friends in the force, um, we've found that the level of PTSD and the, the impact that is on police because they're dealing with it on a regular basis. Uh, one of the youth services officers who I spent some time with, had a chat with, he said there were times when the divvy vans that he had available were all at the local hospital getting kids assessed. And that creates so much pressure on them that they then become at risk themselves. I don't know if you're aware, but in the Australian Defence Force, we lost about 35 guys in Afghanistan, but we've lost over 500 since they've come home, all to suicide. So something needs to be addressed so that that doesn't happen. And we're very mindful that any first responders, ambos, fireys, police, they're at the front line and often their job is to deal with the situations, but they never, it sort of builds up in their lives and it doesn't get addressed. So really what we're talking about is operational police themselves, the ones in the van, the members in the van, because they're dealing with suicide and people at risk, that makes them also more vulnerable. Absolutely. And you would know uh, from your own experience, but people you know as well, those that are mindful of the needs of others often don't look after themselves the way they should. And it's really about getting a good balance and being self-aware of what, if you're going to look after other people well, you've got to look after yourself well also, otherwise your capacity to deal with others starts to be reduced and becomes less effective. I know the Life Central team, your team, Drew, have been working with police in our country Victoria and areas such as Corriong. Now, why have you focused in that area and, and tell me the program you've set up there? Uh, well, Corriong uh, had a sort of a perfect storm of events that created a lot of issues. Um, uh, they had, they'd lost a young fellow to suicide. Um, there was the, the fires. And there were three fires all at the same time in 2019 that ended up at Corriong at the same time. Then they had COVID. Uh, they lost a young man in an airplane accident, uh, another kid to cancer. And then uh, what happened was they started to have a spate of suicides among young people, which was it far, far outstripped the national average, much higher. So we were aware of these issues and we felt like we could do something to help them. So we started up there and we end up running our artificial intelligence software in that area that created clarity on what the issues were so they could deal with them. It's very interesting, and I suppose because it's also a regional 
and it's such an isolated place, that also exacerbates the issue. Is that, And it probably is also more difficult from a health point of view as well, just being such an isolated part of, of the state. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you would find in country Victoria people are a bit parochial. They, they tend to stay within their communities. And being Aussies as well, they probably don't deal with problems as effectively as they might like because you've got to keep, you know, you've got to keep milking cows or you've got to keep getting out on the land or you've got to keep doing what you're doing and that never stops for anyone. So they tend to try, I guess they try and soldier on and hopefully these things just kind of disappear. But that doesn't often happen. That We found uh, with some people we got to know quite well in the police up there that they really struggled because they're dealing with all of this stuff and when the fires came, a lot of the people in uh, positions, uh, you know, in, in services and stuff like that had gone. So the, the, the coppers were left to deal with it. And they uh, just under a lot of strain and a lot of stress and a lot of people they had to deal with. But as soon as that all finishes, they've got to keep moving. They've got to keep going. So it, it's not always addressed as well as it could. So we, we tried to run this for the whole community to take some of the, the stress out of it. And we end up coming out with 167 findings and 144 recommendations for a community of 10 towns in that upper Murray region. And the things that we found were not that hard to address. So it's not like rocket science or anything like that. It's just identifying gaps in safety in the community so that those things can be addressed and it creates a much safer environment overall, which takes the pressure off services as well. What a great outcome in Corion. Congratulations. But you've talked about those services. You've got a couple of programs. You've got the Aggregate Suicide Safety Assessment Tool, AWSAT, and the Suicide Safer Communities Framework, SSCF. So two programs here. Can you sum up just how they work, Drew? Sure. So the way we started was when we were aware of the problem, we started by just training people. So that's intervention. So that's after somebody is at risk, we try and help them. Uh, we found that that's like trying to hold the tide back with a bucket. It's just too little too late. So we saw, okay, what, what would we do then? So we created a framework which includes policies, procedures, pathway, training, referrals to create a, a better system within which people's lives can be protected. But then to do that well, you actually need up-to-date information so you can create the right framework. We recognise that if you had a psychologist in a community like we did in Upper Murray, they'd need a couple of years to work that out and then the, the information's out of date. So we designed a piece of artificial intelligence software that was largely funded by the government. And that allows us to do what would take a psychologist, say, two years. We can do that in six weeks and identify what the gaps are so we're using real-time intelligence so that that information is up to date. You've got the right information so you can make the right decisions for your community. Anyone in the force, anyone in the ADF, they make their decisions based on the evidence or the intelligence they've got. Without that intelligence, they're going to make mistakes. And so we, we took perhaps a page out of their book and we said, okay, we can do this. And so we've created this program that actually identifies where those gaps are so we can address them effectively.
Bankvic was founded by police in 1974 to help members get a better deal on banking. Things are better today, but Bankvic's purpose is the same to serve the police better than the other banks with great rates and personal service. With a branch inside Victoria Police Centre and mobile lenders visiting stations or available by appointment, they're available where and when it suits you. Bank Vic get police because they've been helping them with their banking for nearly 50 years. To find out more, go to bankvic.com.au slash thecrimecouch. Bankvic is the trading name of Police Financial Services Limited, ABN 33087651661. It seems to me you're collecting a whole lot of data, not just from the communities or the people at risk, but you're actually assessing and analysing information of the community across the board. Is that how it works? Yeah, absolutely. The more instances where we deliver our programs, the more knowledge we gain. And uh, the terminology in the, in the trade, which I'm not really that conversant with, but it's called machine learning. So what happens is every time we do another survey in a community, it adds more understanding to how we can respond to issues. So uh, it's likely this year we'll actually deliver our program to over 100,000 people in four regions. And then we'll have one of the largest data sets of information regarding risk and safety in the world, which allows us to then help communities really effectively to address what are the immediate problems and deal with those things before stuff happens. And I think one of the things I'm particularly interested in is the response by the police services because they're often very conservative in their approach. They often aren't very reflective. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with Victoria Police and Tasmania Police, I'd imagine, who'd be very similar in their responses? They're quite risk-averse, and yes, they do understand there's an issue, but they don't want to spend money, and often they there's a perception that if you talk about it, well, then more members will come out and say they've got an issue. Okay, so there's two things there. The first thing uh, that I'd like to mention is the fact that we understand why uh, the force, whether it be the police force or the defence force, would be careful at adopting new programs because, you know, they want to make sure that the things that they're using are tried, proven, effective, and they're going to help, not hurt. Now, I think just because uh, more people come out and say something about the fact that they're at risk, they're already at risk. People just don't know about it. But what we need to do is we need to ensure that what we are providing is tried, proven and effective and is going to add value, not create more problems. So we get that. But as we're moving along, we're finding that that um, maybe reluctance or uncertainty is starting to break down. And uh, uh, my prevention services director is currently designing a one day training program that's a part of our overall offering specifically for police because they deal with different issues every day than somebody in your, in your normal community just doing their, their daily, daily stuff. And so we're trying to help police specifically. We're, try, we're actually starting to develop the same thing for the US military because they just, it's, it's like they're in a different world almost. And, and I think their experiences and what they've got to deal with means that they are 
they become different people, I suppose, in lots of senses. And what they're challenged with and what they have to deal with creates a certain mindset, I suppose. How important is it also to train police that their colleagues might have symptoms involving that they're at risk as well? Like, how important is that? So we've actually helped the police in, in one way, which is how police respond to people outside the force that are in need. That's most of the work we've been doing with the police in Victoria and Tasmania. But the other thing that we're trying to do and what we're doing with the the Defence Force is actually how do they look after each other? You know, we know that police every day, they put themselves in harm's way because they care about community and they want to see the community different. But what that does is it puts themselves in harm's way, not just physically, but also psychologically, emotionally. and, And that's where I think we can probably provide a service that will really support police because we really do need to do that as far as our boys in blue are concerned because they do a lot for us. Probably probably not thanked enough for what they do and this is one way that we can help look after them a little bit better. Boys and girls in blue, Drew. Oh, my apologies, absolutely. The other thing, you've worked a long time in this space. What's the achievement or what's you know, the thing that you hang your hat on and you're the most proudest of in this space, working with these programs. If I can tell you one small story about when we just started training people, one of the people that got our training to start with is a member of our organisation. She and her husband were running a sports club for us. And one of the kids in one of the teams was actually in the shed in a position where he was ready to end his own life. And they'd rung the coach, which was her husband. He hadn't had the training, didn't know what to do. And she said to her hubby, and you can imagine this, give me the phone. And she took the phone and she diffused the situation in about five minutes, which was just so gratifying to see, you know, life saved. And uh, going on from that, our framework, our Suicide Safer Communities framework, every place that we've uh, implemented the framework, every organisation has opted to continue. Uh, which is really encouraging. So it means something has happened which creates a different mindset and a different dynamic which which motivates people to do it in a way that's achievable for them without sort of, you know, investing, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or anything like that. And that's really encouraging. While we were running the framework, we had a couple of year 10 kids that actually identified what we were talking about in other kids and started to reach out and look after those kids even before we'd finished the training. And that's what we need. Otherwise, it's left to just a chosen few to always deal with the issues. You know, it would be great if we could call out the police less on these things because more people in the community are just aware of it and they can start to address it in in the early stages and create a lot more safety for everyone. What's your vision for Life Central and, and for these programs, Drew? Um, we've got our training right and we're going to get that all put up online with a company called Revelation Software who are a, a multi, multinational, international company. They're helping us to do that. So the training is available any time of the day or night in any country. So we're doing that. The framework is ready to go wherever we need it to go and we've delivered that in Australia, in Malaysia and in India. But the artificial intelligence software over this next year, we've got pretty bold plans in that we're looking to deliver it to 100,000 people in 2022 in four regions, and then hopefully to a group of 400,000 people over the next 18 months. 
Once we've done that, we can actually implement it in any country in the world. Because once people have information, all we want to do is empower them so that they can deal with their own communities. We don't need to be controlling everything. We don't need to be dictating terms, but rather give people the understanding, the resources and the information so that they can change their own communities. Mm. Same works in the force, uh, defence, you know, ambos, whoever it is. Give them the opportunity to address their own issues in a way that's relevant and appropriate for them. If anyone listening to this podcast, say, for example, sees or, or believes they have, they're have they at risk of self-harm or if they see anyone else that they believe could be showing those sorts of symptoms, what do you recommend? So depending on the level of risk, if, if they're at risk right now, you've got two instances and we would encourage you to use them that are well-established well-respected and quite effective. There's Lifeline and the Suicide Callback Service. Those two things are really important. But beyond that, we encourage people to do one of the courses, either we or other reputable organisations provide. And they can be as little as one hour or a four hour or a one day course, which allows you to either, number one, understand in a one hour, number two, respond, in a four hour or intervene in an eight hour training, which then will allow you to understand really clearly how to just support somebody who's in need. Because a lot of times people, they feel like there's no one to talk to and no one to understand. And while that's relevant in how they feel, it's often not true. So our goal is, is to change that mindset by understanding where they're at and then helping them where they're at. Drew, it's been a real pleasure uh, speaking with you today on The Crime Couch. Uh, keep continuing your great work. Thanks so much for having us. And look, you keep up your great work too. I'm, I'm sure it's helping a lot of people. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson, and I look forward to your company next time on The Crime Couch.